Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. That's right, folks. Listen, I hope you and your family are safe and healthy out there. Boy, the summertime, you know, we're getting closer and closer. The weather is still a little wild out here in sunny Boston, Massachusetts, but it's getting a little warm out there. And if anybody who's been listening to the show for the past four years, you know I'm a winter baby. I can't stand the heat. Okay, once you start getting, you know, north of of, uh, 70 degrees, I start getting a little worried there because I just, ugh, I I could sit during a snowstorm and be fine, but this heat, I don't know about it. You know, folks, we we had an incredible, incredible weekend last weekend of pro wrestling and MMA. And I figured, you know something, let me start off with the MMA part. Let me get this combat sports stuff going because there was so much excitement and if there's anybody who can talk about that excitement, it is my guy, okay? The Black Burt Sugar, the man, the myth, the legend, Reed. What's going on there, Reed? Brother Duke, how we living, man? Hope, hope all is well. Hope you're uh, pandemic coronavirus free. And, yeah, doing what you do, man. Good to be on with you. Always a pleasure, brother. Listen, the only corona I got going on is the beer. Uh, so <laughs> other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape well, here, brother. I saw a video of yours that you did with a mask on. That's, that's why I stated yeah. what I stated. But yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had exactly. the ma- now you see, I, I made that mask myself, Reed. You see that, right? That's why it was all, it was all crooked and looking crazy. <laughs> you know, you can buy masks, right? Listen, I got time for that. I'm cheap. All right. We <laughs> <didn't hurry laughs> over that. <laughs> we just discussed it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, so UFC 250, Reed, this was a, a another pay-per-view, you know, live sports are back, at least when it comes to MMA, they were the first, uh, you know, not counting pro wrestling, of course, but UFC was the first to come back with the live sports, and I believe this is what, their second or third event back, and it was a pretty exciting card, so, so let's talk about it, man. What were your general thoughts of UFC 250? So just to clarify, I think it may have even been the fourth event they've done. Every single UFC event isn't necessarily uh, tagged with with a number, like UFC 250 uh, Nunez versus Felicia Spencer. They have UFC Fight Nights also, which uh, Tyron Woodley, he, uh, he got the brakes beat off of him by uh, my man Burns. I forget his first name, but uh, I think Gabriel Burns, he's from uh, 
Brazil, strangely enough, with the name Gabriel Burns. But he uh, he put hands all upon Tyron Woodley. Uh, the, the fight went the distance, but I've never seen Woodley dominated as such, even including when he lost to uh, Usman, Kamaro Usman. Then there was the uh, Overeem fight against, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but so my point is there's been about four at least. And then, of course, UFC 250, Nunez versus uh, Spencer. I want to highlight, before I get to Amanda Nunez, I want to highlight the fact that it was a bantamweight-driven uh, card like Nunez. She's the women's bantamweight champion as well as the women's featherweight champion. She's the champ champ. Well, but there were also uh, most of the other intriguing fights consisted of the men's bantamweight division. We had Sugar Shane O'Malley. He's a very quirky dude. He uh, rocks the white man afro. Like, I've never seen a better fro. I, I'm, I'm, I love my man's fro. He obviously braids it before he fights because you can't have your hair flopping around like that. And this dude can fight, man. He knocked out Eddie Wineland. And Eddie Wineland was supposed to be the, the biggest, toughest, sternest test of O'Malley's career. And O'Malley, you know, he came out, he kind of danced around, probed a bit, threw some half-hearted arm punches to gauge uh, Wineland's reaction, and he knocked him smooth out. He faked a, an uppercut, and instead of following through the uppercut, once Wineland bit on the feint, then bam, the same fake right uppercut, he turned it over. O'Malley did into an overhand right. Knocked him smooth out. Fantastic finish. The most competitive fight on the card allegedly was between Al Jermaine Sterling versus uh, Corey Sanhagen. I believe Sterling was ranked number two in the division. Sanhagen number four. Like People were like, oh my god, I'm salivating over this fight. I can't even sit down. I'm so nervous. This is what Joe Rogan and uh, Daniel Cormier, the people actually watching the fight, like commentating the fight, broadcasting it, were saying. And <laughs> within a minute and 28 seconds, Sterling, he just came right at him, took my man's back, and, and choked him out. Like, literally choked him out in a minute and 28 seconds. And his, uh, his nickname was the Funk Master, Al Jermaine. They call him Al Joe for short. Al Jermaine, Al Joe, the Funk Master Sterling. The uh, other fight, Cody Garbrandt, who used to hold the title at Bantamweight, but since he lost, he got knocked out in the, uh, the fight that he lost the belt, he got knocked out. He's been knocked out in two fights since then, so he came into this fight against Rafael Asuncao. Like, he needed – Cody Garbrandt needed a win. He uh, He's with Team Alpha Male. He has not left their camp. You know, he's so he's so loyal, he's like, No, I'm not leaving this camp, but he had to go he had to go get a different look, get a different voice. So he went to a camp in uh in the northeast. But yeah, he uh as impressive as O'Malley's KO was, I encourage everybody listening to Google the uh, Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Asuncao KO. And I'm saying Rafael, but it's spelled with an R. That's how Brazilian names are pronounced. The R, it has an H sound, and it was it was ridiculous. This dude was knocked out so bad. So Cody, his back is to the cage. He dips down to his right, and he unleashed a right hook from hell, and it connected flush, and a sun sal fell, and he fell on his face. 
once they got him up, they sat him on a stool after the fight. He nearly fell off the stool. Like, that's how concussed he was. It, it was fantastic card. So I've spent all this time focusing on those fights because the main event, Amanda Nunez versus Felicia Spencer, no disrespect at all to Felicia Spencer. She's tough. She deserves respect. She got in there. She did not quit. But my girl, like I, uh, like I said on Facebook, dude, <laughs> Felicia Spencer took a 25-minute ass whooping, period. It was a glorified sparring session. Amanda Nunez, she was better just as an athlete. Forget who knows this discipline. So just athletically, I'm better than you. But then Amanda Nunez was better technically. So, yeah, I know about every facet of stand-up fighting, of ground fighting, of kicks, of uh, hip tosses. Like, she knew all of that at a much higher level than her opponent. She was faster. She was stronger. Like I said, better standing up and better on the ground. It was, uh, we used the term boy against, uh, man against boy. This was very much woman against girls. That's how I described the main event. And I don't really know where Nunez goes from here. Like, there's no competition for her in two weight classes. So, good card overall. But the main event wasn't the reason the card was good. And I'm not throwing shade at women's MMA at all. I love it. I love it. It's the one sport, it's the one combat sport where women, they can headline and it's not looked at a certain type of way. Like, you don't see this in boxing too much. Or the WNBA, like, dudes don't even watch that at all. But people, for whatever reason, I don't care why they're into women's MMA. But, yeah, that, that fight wasn't the the fight. The crux of that card that I'm speaking of was the Bantamweight men's fights. You know, first of all, thank you for that detailed analysis there Reed that's good stuff man um I was you know I I will admit that I really didn't pay attention to most of the card I was eating and I was doing this and getting some extra work done and all that but as soon as Nunez is coming out that's when I paid attention I was I was locked in I want to get your opinion on something I feel like for the first you know first round and and definitely half of the second round it was clear that Amanda Nunez wanted to knock Spencer out. But then something right. changed. And she figured, you know something, let me give the people their money's worth. And she kind of eased up. She she wasn't hitting her as hard as she could, and, and she didn't go for the finish as efficiently as she knows that she could have. Because at any time, she could have just done a couple more leg kicks and, and you know, Spencer wouldn't have been able to go anywhere and then Nunez could have just knocked it clean. And and that uppercut, oh, my God, that uppercut, she, she'd hit you with a cross and then follow with an uppercut because every time Spencer got hit with a, with a cross, she would dip her head almost as if she was going to shoot. And Nunez was already throwing the uppercut before Spencer even thought to dip her head. So by the time her head got down, she was already eating another punch. Just just an amazing, amazing psychological breakdown from right. one fighter right. to another. It's just like, I know what you're going to do before you do, so my fist is already waiting for you. You got to catch up to my fist. My fist doesn't have to catch up to you. Just amazing. Do you do feel you. Uh, Nunez... Figured, you know what, this woman has a chin. 
I respect that. So let me just lightly beat the hell out of her for the rest of the match. I would agree with you. If we're talking maybe the fourth and and final round, fourth and the fifth round, yeah, Amanda took her foot off the gas, so to speak. There's another facet. Amanda has been criticized for finishing people early. So, yeah, she wants to uh, drag her fights out, so to speak, just to show. And we saw her cardio hadn't changed. She was as uh, aggressive and effective in round five as she was in round one. Now, I will say, so Amanda, the success, and I'm going to harken back to uh, Rocky Three, where Apollo comes in and he trains Rocky. He said, hey, you've lost the eye of the tiger. You know, when I fought you, you were nasty. You were this, you were that. Amanda Nunez, she's trending that direction, and she's good enough. Some people are good enough. Some fighters are good enough where they can kind of turn the switch on and off. The problem is if you get too used to that, by the time you're thinking turn the switch back on, you're already done. To me, Amanda Nunez, so the the most violent, and I mean violent in a good way. When I say violent woman fighter, I'm thinking – Chick, I, I wouldn't want to mess with even as a dude. The most violent woman's fighter I've ever seen was Ann Wolf. And I know Ann Wolf personally. She's a female, I'm a dude. I don't want any smoke with Ann Wolf. You know. If she ever called me out, it'd be a difficult situation because, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna punk out, but I'm like, yo, dude, this this chick is probably gonna end you. Same thing with Chris Cyborg. In MMA, I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, I would have fought Gina Carano, sure, because Gina Carano, you know, she was who she was. Ronda Rousey, sure, go ahead and hip toss me. As soon as you get my arm in the position, I'll tap. But Chris Cyborg was that chick like, uh, hell no. I don't want to fight her because this chick is real and she's about that. She's about that life. And then she got knocked out, Chris Cyborg, Cyborg in one round by a smaller Amanda Nunez. So my respect level for Amanda Nunez is is off the charts. She's very aggressive in the moment, but you can see, especially, and no criticism to Spencer, but Spencer kept glove touching, which is, there, there, there's a difference between sportsmanship and, like, looking for sympathy in a way. Like, ultimately, if I'm fighting you, I will, uh, I will glove touch you when the ref says touch gloves, but beyond that, if you're trying to tear my head off, me personally, I have no interest in glove touching you during that moment. She busted old girl up. I mean, she, you know, there was, there wasn't a single minute or second or moment of that fight where Nunez wasn't in control. But to your point, it became obvious to Nunez who I think consciously said, Oh, everybody questions my cardio. So, for one, I like this girl. Like, there was no there was no shit talk. There was no animosity at all leading up to the fight. Not, not that Spencer was kissing her ass or anything, but they're just, you know, Nunez doesn't talk crap, neither does Spencer. So it was cordial to begin with. Then in the fight, it, it's clearly demonstrated who the better woman is, who the better fighter is. So I wholeheartedly agree with you, Brother Duke, that Nunez, and she... 
even even being merciful, she still was piecing up. She was piecing Spencer up pretty pretty damn good. But yeah, she definitely took her foot off. The, if she wanted to stop her, she could have anytime in the third round or the fourth or fifth round for certain. So yeah, she carried her. Long story short. Oh yeah, she she could have knocked her out. She could have tapped her out. She could have broken her leg. I mean, just I saw <clears throat> when when Nunez punched this woman. I I didn't even see Amanda Nunez in that second. I saw Mike Tyson. I saw I saw a twenty one year old Mike Tyson. The force, the ferociousness, the the as you said, the violence of a punch from Amanda Nunez. She's that. She's that. She's that dominant. Yes, she's Mike Tyson. Is she Mike Tyson? No. But against her gender, yeah, she's Mike Tyson dominant. I right. yes, yes, brother, yes. I mean, that's a heavy. That's a heavy punch, man. You can hear. You know, it's like when when a baseball player says, I, "From from the sound that the that the ball makes with the bat, I can tell where the ball is going and and if it's going to be a home run or not." It's just a certain sound that you hear. When a man or Nunez punches somebody, there's a sound that you hear where you know, oh, damn. <laughs> That's some permanent damage you're going to have from that one. <laughs> I forget who it was. It wasn't Chael Sonnen, but there's another uh, ESPN MMA commentator, guy with red hair, red uh, goatee. He pointed out something I never knew. He said, there's world-class fighters afraid to spar with Amanda Nunez. Men. Not that I mean. Ultimately, yes, you can beat a woman. You're a guy. You fight. You should. You, you should be able to beat her. But he said there's a a lot of elite level MMA men who are reluctant to spar her because they don't want to be the guy who gets dropped with a punch by Amanda Nunez. Like, like that's a real that's a real concern. Like yeah, you're a guy. You're good. You're in there to help her. But then, like, to your point, she throws a punch at you almost, not even almost, but, like, on a dude level in terms of the speed, the power, the accuracy. Maybe she fainted you into a position. So, yeah, it's it's not even good to – I wonder how she continues to be so good because apparently she's not even – you know, guys are worried about their reputation just sparring her. She's to that point now. That's how good she is as a female. Yeah, I mean she she's got to be go. She's gonna go down as the greatest. I mean she's already there. She's the greatest female fighter of all time, and no doubt, no doubt. I'll take, she I'll beat take, every woman, every woman in the argument. She's already beaten and beat them in the first round. Like, well, well, I don't think there's been an MMA fighter in UFC history that has dominated the way that she has. I don't. I don't think that they exist. Um, and I watched this from the beginning, man. I, I'd go all the way back, Reed. I remember the super fight days. We wow. have never right. seen anything like what Amanda Nunes is doing. Right. It's just different. Now, what, what's this Fight Island stuff, Reed? You know, you, Dana White, I know that he was messing around saying that he's going he's gonna to build his own island and, and they're going to have UFC fights and they're going to be doing all this and doing all that because of the whole COVID-19 stuff. And they couldn't get sanctioned in so many different municipalities because of, you know, the spread of COVID-19 being a major concern, but this fight Island thing, I guess it's happening now, right? Yeah. Dana White's always said it will happen. Now he says a lot of things. He's very uh, outspoken, very vocal. 
but most people doubted it would happen. I never doubted it. I'm like, look, this man's business is shut down. And I want to applaud Dana White and UFC for being the first ones. They were, they were, Dana White was brave enough to put his company out there. And they even had Jack uh, Ray Souza fail. Uh, he, he was he tested positive for COVID-19. They proceeded with the card. That was their very first show. They've done at least three, maybe two or three, four more since then. No other issues. So I applaud him for just giving us a degree of normalcy back in terms of uh, combative sports fans. He's talked about the island since it was known that, hey, I can't have Tony Ferguson uh, challenge Khabib for his title because of because Khabib had already flown back to Russia or uh, the former the former USSR. He already flew back, so he couldn't fly back to America to make that fight happen. Here's the importance of Fight Island. And Dana said it himself. He said, look, I can host fights pretty much uh, two, three a month if I wanted to, but I'm burning out. I'm burning out my American talent. And I think to that point, that's why he had a mostly bantamweight main event. All the guys that fought in the uh, pay-per-view portion of UFC 250, they were all in the same division. So now one hasn't been more active than the other. They all have the same uh, activity or lack of or wear and tear, et cetera. But he's been neglecting his, uh, you know, his, 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 his fighters abroad. I think this might be a part of why Conor McGregor has issued like his third or fourth retirement statement. statement. <laughs> like, so when you heard Conor retired, what was, what was your immediate thought, dude, before I get back to my point? You know, Connor is just once again holding folks up because he needs to make more money. And that's really all it is. That fool, he know damn well he doesn't want to retire. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to go into pro wrestling, even, even if he does a one or two match deal just to get a big payday until UFC comes crawling back to him. But, I mean, you know, Connor, Connor McGregor is not – we haven't seen the last of him in an MMA ring, that's just not possible. Unless he has some kind of career-threatening injury, which he doesn't, um, I don't think that's true at all, Reed. So, and I agree, but if we follow the timeline, if I'm not mistaken, he announced his retirement, and then Dana White officially puts it out there where Fight Island is. He, He substantiates the fact that, hey, this isn't just a rumor. This isn't a tattoo and Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. This is a real thing. It's going to happen. And it was, uh, I believe, Abu Dhabi was the designated place. I think that's why, Connor, because he he doesn't have a problem uh, needling needling or nudging Dana White. Same that we've seen with John Jones, uh, Jorge Masvidal, Henry Cejudo. I mean, it happens. It is what it is. But. My point was, you and I both know, Connor, you're, you're going to be in a UFC octagon again, probably in uh, in 2020. So, like, just chill out, bro. You know. But the point is, is the overseas fighters, the Khabibs, the Connors, they didn't have a uh, Zhang Wei Li moving forward. Like, there was, they had he had to create something, some type of outlet where he can probably control the sanctioning body also, or the uh, commission in terms of who's who's allowed in, who's not. 
testing measures, etc. Abu Dhabi is all about letting Dana White do what he wants to do in their country so they can reap the benefits. And with that, Dana White can have fighters coming in from across the world and not just burn out his uh, United States roster, which is a concern he's already expressed. Like, I don't want to burn out all my American guys. So Fight Island, it's real, people. It's really real. And I'm not mad at it at all. I don't care where the fight happens. At this point, I don't even care if fans aren't there. Because you know what? You can hear the punches. You can hear the punches much louder and much clearer when no fans are there. It's like an episode of The Ultimate Fighter, which I used to watch. Uh, You can hear the corner talking to each other and, hey, hey, do this, do that. I'm not necessarily mad at the lack of fans. I know they'll be back because financially the sport wouldn't – it, it couldn't it couldn't continue to float otherwise, but I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing and Viva Viva Dana White, Viva UFC and Viva Fight Island. You see, that's why I come to you about that combat sports stuff, Reed, because you definitely know what you're talking about. That, that's great analysis. You gave me some information I didn't even know, and it, it's going to be interesting. And I'm with you. I don't really care about not having fans. I care about the fighting. And I know a lot of folks will express something a little different. They like the old, the atmosphere and all that. I don't care about any of that stuff. I am interested in the action. I love the the science behind combat sports. So I'm watching the moves. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating what's coming next. I'm computing why you, you went for a leg kick instead of going for, you know, a, a double leg takedown or, or why you – you threw a jab and instead of uh, throwing an elbow, who knows? But it's just, I'm into that. So the the crowd, I could, I'd never paid attention to them anyway, so I could care less. And, and I'm not moved by what somebody else feels is exciting during a sporting event. I think a lot of folks are too busy getting swayed by that because everybody else says, ooh, ah, it's like, oh, something exciting happened. I don't need you to prompt me to tell me what's exciting. Because what I like may not be what you like. You know what I'm saying? A, a, a leg kick to the knee, if you're not astute enough to understand how that's going to hobble a fighter, and too many of those, as the fight continues to go on, is going to hurt their mobility, which if they're not moving as much, then they can't dodge as many punches. They can't dodge as many kicks. It's a lot easier to just pick them apart. If you don't understand that and you're just waiting to see a knockout, then, yeah, you and I are not going to watch the fight the same way. And we're not going to be as enthused about the same things. So I'm with you, brother. I, I don't I don't need the fans. Just give me the action. I'm good to go with that. Reed, I have uh, to say, though, let me say this, dude. I have to say this. On behalf of wrestlers or wrestlers, I know that, Pre-COVID-19, they are mainly judged on crowd reaction, crowd response. So that's the one aspect. Any other sport, do what you have to do with or without fans. But I do feel for professional wrestlers, since we on Duke loves wrestling, because it's all that. That's how that's how their pay scale is gauged, and crowd response, and oh, the crowd loves you, so now you're you're selling the most merch, et cetera, et cetera. So I do feel for them at a time like this. But, yeah, 
other other than wrestling specifically, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said, brother. Everything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Listen, Reed, let everybody know. How can they reach out to you? How can they follow your show on YouTube? The whole nine yards, man. Uh, please search for me. I'm Reed BBS. BBS. Black Burke Sugar. Bachelors in Boxing Studies. I'm on YouTube. Check out my station, Reed BBS. Uh, please comment, subscribe, like, share. I need you to do all of that. Like, and me and Duke met before I even had my own platform. So it is what it is. Duke and I are like-minded. If you like Duke, you'll like me if you just give me a chance. For sure. I always say not only the most knowledgeable combat sports uh, analyst that I know, but also the most entertaining. I mean, legitimately I've played your stuff for folks who don't even watch boxing or MMA or anything, and they can listen to you talk forever, Reed. So absolutely, <laughs> folks, I encourage everybody to check out my man. Listen, before I let you go, Reed, I, I wanted to get your thoughts real quick. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, he has done a complete about-face and has admitted that the peaceful protests from folks like uh, Colin Kaepernick few years back in retrospect was the right thing to do and the NFL got it wrong by admonishing and blackballing and and treating any of those players including Colin Kaepernick in the manner that they did which was basically they turned Kaepernick and these guys into pariahs basically and then with Kaepernick I mean he lost his entire career that he worked his whole life for um what are your thoughts on that, Reed? Do, do, you, do you accept this apology from Roger Goodell and, and essentially the NFL as an organization or, or not? I accept it. First of all, let's call it what it is. Cal- Colin Kaepernick was whiteballed, and I'm not throwing shade at white people, but it was a collective effort from white owners and white sponsors who weren't comfortable with what he was doing, which is why he was uh, – not picked up by any other team. So with that, with that being said, I believe the suit was settled between Kaepernick and the league. So a lot of people are mad that Goodell didn't mention Kaepernick at all. And I'm kind of like, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the suit was settled already. So if it's already settled, it shouldn't matter if you mention his name or not. The NFL specifically, they cannot they cannot apologize for not being more racially conscious or acknowledging or accepting or, like you said, Goodell's cool with protesting. You cannot acknowledge that without acknowledging the face of all of that, which is Colin Kaepernick. Like, come on now. Who is, is, it, is, it, uh, is it the president that you're afraid of? Okay, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth every time he's on Twitter, every time he's on Twitter. And you notice he claps back at all these people who say this or that, but he damn sure didn't clap back when he put Drew Brees on the spot and Drew Brees immediately responded. He immediately responded. Trump ain't, excuse my language, Duke, but Trump ain't said shit to Drew Brees since then. He's a bully, but when he has no other alternative, he's, he's going to kowtow. He's going to, he's going to, uh, like he 
avoided the draft. He's, he's going to avoid confrontation when prominent people who look like him speak out against him, when he knows he can't win a battle. And I just, before I get off, it's not about this or that color. There's no color to right or wrong, people. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter if black wronged white or vice versa. We need to all speak out when wrong is committed. We need to acknowledge black people. We don't want you to feel guilty. At least I don't. I don't want to speak for Duke. I don't want white people to feel guilty. What I want, what I think black people need, we need white people to acknowledge what's occurred. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You personally didn't persecute. But foul is foul. Again, right is right, wrong is wrong. When you see it, speak out on it. And when there don't 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 insult my intelligence or the intelligence of black people to always eliminate racism as a possibility. We we we're, we're not yeah, we're angry, but we're not just throwing race out there for nothing. Just acknowledge it. And at the same time when the whole black lives matter that discussion is out there. Hey, white voices matter. If you're truly against racism, if, you, if you're a white person out there wondering, what should I do? How can I help? Speak out. Speak up. Speak out. Because they're, they're tired. The system, the government, they're tired of black people complaining, especially black men. Oh, it's just another angry black man. White voices matter. Speak up. Speak out. If if you're really down, and right now we're in a point where, hey, you're, you're on one side or the other. I hate to draw the line like that. And with that said, you're going to vote for who you vote for in November. I would never speak on, on Dukes or on my own platform encouraging anybody to vote a certain way. But I will say you need to vote. You need to vote. You're going to vote for who you vote for. But if you really, really, genuinely and honestly want to affect change as a white person if you're honestly picking your brain wondering what can i do speak up speak out we need black people we need support we can't fight this without you white people we can't we can't help us out speak up speak out white voices matter white acknowledgement of wrongs that you didn't commit it matters and that's all i got to it's always a pleasure to talk to my man, Reed. I mean, just a, a really good guy. Once again, folks, you can hop on YouTube and just search for Reed BBS. He calls himself the Black Burt Sugar. That's right. Good dude. Real good dude. That's, that's my brother right there. Folks, you know that uh, I'm pretty active on social media. That is my way to connect with all of you. You know, it's, it's great that we have such a, a great listenership from all over the world, people from all walks of life, different concepts and ideas, and you bring so much to the table. There truly is more than one way to skin a cat, and I appreciate all of you because you continue to open up my eyes and challenge my thinking, not just when it comes to pro wrestling and and combat sports, but life in general. There's a person in particular who I've been following on Twitter, and you've been following me back for a little while here, And with all of this unrest going on all over the world right now, uh, he has some some interesting perspective and a willingness to have a conversation 
to hopefully move closer towards a solution. You know, folks, stuff like this, it's, it's bigger than combat sports and pro wrestling. It's bigger than what's in front of you. I mean, we're legitimately talking about life and our existence just as, as human beings, you know? So I said, you know what, let me get this guy on the show. Let's have this conversation for everyone to hear because hopefully there, there could be some takeaways. Hopefully this can spark conversation within your social circles and you can continue. So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, actor, producer, podcaster, a guy with really cool tattoos, Mr. Noah Kinsey. <laughs> How you doing there, Noah? Good. How you doing, Duke? That was I'm, a great introduction. Well, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, you got some serious ink. What's the ink all about, brother? I mean, it's different images that, you know, they have their superficial meaning that you, when you look at it, like my Spider-Man tattoo, but then each one has a uh, deeper meaning and is reflective of who I am and the values that I stand for. How does that affect your, your acting work? I mean, do you find that because you have the tattoos that limits your opportunities or is it the complete opposite? It's the complete opposite. Um, now we can use makeup to cover tattoos if need be. But when it comes to casting directors uh, and agents, if they see you already have ink, that can give them ideas of types of roles um, to cast you for and types of TV shows. So one of the TV shows that I did, they actually complete, I was doing, I was a body double for it and I used makeup to completely cover the tattoos. That stuff takes forever to take off, but it doesn't really, doesn't really limit what I can do when it comes to performance arts when it comes to the stuff that you know you've dedicated your life to there are some significant parallels uh, to pro wrestling these guys are out there and they're entertaining fans it's it's predetermined but they're giving their all and it can get pretty physical and what have you what's a misconception would you say for performance artists like yourself that you wish the the public or the general public would understand better oh man well first off i absolutely agree with you on that i mean wrestling's live theater so i i think if people didn't realize that now or then they're definitely realizing it now when they're trying to watch their wrestling and there's no crowd and how jarring and different that is because holy crap it's for me personally, I'm a huge WWE fan and wrestling fan in general, and it's it's really tough to sit through the stuff without an audience. Um, so completely agree. It's performance art. It's not fake. It's choreographed. I got you there for sure. Um, I would have to say a big misconception is everybody you see on TV is a millionaire. <laughs> there is a lot of sweat equity that goes into this business where... You have the Friends stars that famously made $1.3 million their final season of the show. But, I mean, there's so many working actors out here that, I mean, pretty much make what the middle class makes or less. I mean, there's just a lot of people out there that just aren't making those high-dollar contracts. So I'd say that. I'd say there's just a lot of – people see the success. They don't see – the years and decades it takes to get to that point. You know, Noah, where you live, 
on the West Coast. I mean, you're fortunate enough to be around so many different cultures and and genders and races and what have you. So you you have exposure, um, and and because of the fact that you're a thoughtful person, that you're creative, you, people like yourself are more willing to delve into that which is different. You want to understand something that you may not be as familiar with personally based on your personal experiences. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about your your journey to understand other cultures and how that affects your line of work, not only as an actor, but also as a writer, as a producer, what have you. Sure. I was raised in a very inclusive family. I traveled a lot with my parents for my dad's work. I have cousins that are half black, other cousins that are half Japanese. I've done work camps in Mexico. I've lived in across the world. Uh, A lot of experiences, a lot of friends that are different ethnicities. All of that opens my eyes to just different ways of life, different experiences, things like that. But it also makes me realize that everything that I just said back there doesn't mean I even understand what they go through. I can listen. I The understanding, and I think it's important for people, I really wish everyone would travel. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, do global trips and do all that stuff because nobody has the money for that. But just to step out of your little bubble, I just wish people would travel to see Man, even, you know, when you're hearing all this stuff about Mexicans are sending their drug dealers and their rapists, man, I spent a week on a work camp as a teenager in Tijuana, just around the people. And even if people just did that, to see this dehumanizing of these people is, is just, it's heartbreaking. And I wish people would just go and just experience this life because man, I mean, there's so much we don't understand about other people. But like I said, I mean, I think I think what it's taught me this life experience has taught me is that I, I don't fully understand and I can't fully understand. And that's why I really want to listen. Um, and I never want to stop listening because I just there's no way for me to know because I'm not that I'm of the system. Of, uh, I'm white privileged, not because I chose that, but just because of how I was born. And that just, that fact I feel is just so messed up. And I don't understand why people don't realize, like, why am I given stuff just because of how I was born where others are looked down upon because of something they also can't control. So it's just, yeah, I just, I just want to listen. I want to learn. I want to hear life experiences outside of the ones that I would ever run the risk of experiencing myself on your Twitter account. You actually put that out for everybody. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you put out a challenge for anyone who wants to have a conversation with you about what's going on and, you know, who can provide you some further insight as you continue to have your thirst for knowledge and and want to understand what sort of questions come to mind, Noah? I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a black man, been that my whole life. (laughs) So, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'm here on the East Coast, I'm not on the West Coast. So my experience in terms of encountering racism, it's a little different. It's not always as in your face here. It can be very subtle, but it can be very direct at the same time. Uh, so what, what sort of questions w- would you have from a general standpoint 
especially in the spirit of your tweet. Yeah, so I put out a challenge there on my tweet saying I I want to hear your experience. I want to amplify it. So this past, I mean, I mean, I, I was going to say this past week, but really ever since I've had Twitter um, and had the following that I do and the platform that I do, I've always wanted to use it to raise up voices that typically don't get heard or at least don't have a chance to be heard. And same thing, you know, any of my future productions, the things I have control over, what's really important is to make sure it's a safe environment for people, um, both from racial discrimination and sexual harassment, as well as using it and hiring people whose voices aren't normally heard to make the, the set more inclusive, because we need a lot of diversity, both in front of and behind the camera. And in the spirit of that, with everything going on, it's, I guess I put out, as you're calling it, the challenge, it, I, I want to help elevate voices instead of just me talking. Because, you know, I've put out some videos of me talking to white people. Um, but other than that, I don't, I, it's not my place to share the black experience, something that I don't, wouldn't even know. So Really, when it comes to it, I guess I just I want to hear what experiences you have, uh, how you're raised, how how we'll start with this. How were you prepared for the society that you were released upon once you were an adult? That's a great question. And, and everyone listening, I encourage you. We're, we're going to share Noah's uh, social media taglines and what have you a little later on and definitely feel free to reach out and share your personal answer to this question because it's a, I would love that. It's a, it's a powerful uh, question to ask. And I think some great discussion and some great learning can be gathered from it. Um, I can tell you right now that there was no true preparation. There was no true, uh, you know, it's okay, I'm, I'm trained up and now I'm ready to be this, this adult, this, this black man in America who regardless of what I do, regardless of how much I try to make myself appear to others as being the most non-threatening as possible, I still very very well may be targeted and lose my life just for the audacity of existing. Um, there's nothing that can train you for that. There's no, there's no perfect way or no right way to do that in my eyes either. It's just something that you just kind of live through. And I, I can tell you, Noah, it's terrifying. And the the weight exists from day one, and it really never goes away. So no matter how much joy or, or how much success you have in life, you constantly have to recognize the fact that, especially in this country, it's the only country I've ever lived in, there will always be this underlying thing where you can be punished for something that has nothing to do or, or that's completely outside of your control because you've been deemed the enemy, because you've been deemed the other, the undesirable. That means that at any time you can be targeted. And when you're victimized, you're not given the benefit of the doubt either. You know, even the most reasonable person will be like, well, let's wait and see what happened. What did he do? What did, the, what did she do to cause that? as opposed to, hey, that's wrong. 
You know, you, you could show people a video of somebody being brutalized or murdered. And, and the, one of the first questions you'll see, you can just search social media, you can see this. Well, I wonder what he did wrong. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, in America, the land of the free, where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is supposed to exist, where we're all cre- created equal, uh, a law enforcement officer can't be judge, jury, and executioner. So even if you did break a law, unless you legitimately posed yourself at that very moment to be a, a security risk to the officer or to the general populace, which you know you would have to have some kind of weapon or something like that in order to rise to that occasion, it just makes no sense for somebody to, to literally be murdered. And that happens far too often. So when you see things like that, and this isn't new, in fact, it's I'm going to I'm going to put out a statement here, Noah, in my lifetime. And I'm a guy that studies public safety. I come from a public safety family, you know, a long line of police officers, military officers, corrections officers, uh, people in the federal level. I've personally worked in state municipal government. Um, I actually believe that it's happening less today than it did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. When I was a kid, it was, it was even worse. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's much better today, but it just gives you an idea of this is all I know. Mm-hmm. Living under these types of circumstances and having that type of pressure that's constantly there. And even the people with the alleged best intentions, your coworkers, your schoolmates, people, your teammates, you know, in sporting events, your friends, a lot of them will betray the fact that the supremacist values that our country maintains, it's well within their personal fabric as well, and they benefit from it and don't necessarily want it to change, even if they tell you they don't want it to change. So you said something very interesting. You talked about the fact that you want to continue to push and I'm paraphrasing, push diversity within the things that you can control. So you're a guy that produces projects. Mm-hmm. You're a guy that writes and what have you. If you make it a point to have more women and people of color, LGBTQ+, plus, what have you, if you make it a point to drive diversity within your projects, not just in front of the screen, but also behind the screen, the decision-making processes, that's an example of somebody who's not just talking they're actually putting action behind their words. Unfortunately, Noah, there's, there's a lot of talk and there's very little action sure. from a lot of these folks that you see, including in your industry. Absolutely. You know, and, and you talked about WWE. This is a pro wrestling show primarily. Um, you're starting to see that their talk, it just can't happen anymore. So, so now you're seeing the most diverse collection of champions in the WWE than, than you've ever seen in history at this very moment. There are more people of color who are holding championships in WWE than ever before at one time. Mm-hmm. That is a direct example of what's going on in the world today where people are saying, we're not going to put up with what we've been putting up with all along, which is this, this systemic racism. But we got to take it a step further and look at the WWE's corporate structure and see how many people of color and women and LGBTQ plus and what have you, how many of them are in decision making positions within the corporate environment of the WWE. And there aren't many. (laughs) So 
it's 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 there's never going to be an overnight fix to anything but i i bring all of that up just to say that nothing can truly prepare you to exist in this world under these circumstances we're literally just living it it's funny i did i mean i know that you wanted to talk about things outside of wrestling but i definitely had questions about that so since you just were talking about it, let's do that and then expand out of there if that's okay with you it's your sure, show sure sure okay uh, so going back to the WWE, a few things, and I want to hear, I'll just ask a couple things and then just listen, like this is my intention, a few things. So yes, I, I agree. Diversity. We're seeing a lot more, uh, factions, tag teams, champions, all of that, but you're not seeing it on the structure side. Uh, personally, do you believe the fact that Byron is a punching bag might be, a little bit of maybe passive racism. I know that that Vince is in everyone's ear when it comes to that, but man, like I feel Byron gets way more grief and crap thrown his way than anyone else, which just feels weird, especially with not even on the race side, but on the anti-bullying that WWE pushes. I just feel like poor Saxton is kind of just supposed to sit back and take it. But also how did you feel when Hogan was brought back in embraced with both arms after the reason that he was even removed from promo videos? What, I mean, did you feel that was a major step back? Do you, did you think there's a chance for reconciliation? I mean, I guess that's multiple questions, but I would love to hear your take on that. Well, you know, it's, it's not a, a concept that I ever spent time thinking about. So that's, I appreciate you asking that question about Byron Saxton. I mean, here he is. He's a he's a black man. He was a wrestler, mm-hmm. transitioned into being a commentator, which is what he's been doing for years now. And by far, he is a a punching bag. He is the the guy that everyone piles on and picks on and what have you. I want to be careful because there has to be room for creative expression. Sure. Especially for the performer, if they are comfortable, if they excel at being a particular type of character, you don't necessarily want to stifle that. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a prime example. Somebody like Samoa Joe is not going to be anybody's goofball because that's not <laughs> who he is as a person, right? He, no. doesn't, he doesn't present himself that way. But a we guy like Byron that. Saxton likes to make people laugh and entertain and be goofy. If you, if you look at the stuff that he posts online uh, on his own personal accounts and what have you, you see that he's just really into that physical comedy, comic relief. You know, mm-hmm. I, he's not Mr. Bean, but my, my nah. point is that there's a lot of physical comedy that goes along with the stuff that he does. Um, so I don't want to take away from that. If, if, sure. if that's truly what he is comfortable with doing, then that's fine. I will say, though, and you, and you really made me think about this, Byron Saxon is filling a role that has been unfilled since Jonathan Coachman's first run in the WWE. It's literally the same exact role where Coach, another black man, was treated as the punching bag and the person who was always made fun of and marginalized and treated like just someone that you didn't have to take seriously. And now I'm starting to wonder if 
there is something to be said about that. You have a guy like David Otunga, who you know really hasn't done much commentary in a while. He was treated fairly seriously on commentary, but he's really the outlier. If you're comparing all the black commentaries WWE's had through the years, there are a lot more Jonathan Coachman's and, and Byron Saxton's than they are David Otunga's. So that's I'm going to table that one and have to really think about it further sure. and come back to it. But that's I, I appreciate you challenging me with that. Um, in terms of Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan is is someone that I look up. To, I looked up to as a child. I was a Hulkamaniac. Sure, you, you know? wanted to say your prayers and take your vitamins. Man. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you right now. Even as a kid, I didn't even know that Hulk Hogan wasn't black because his his skin was so dark. <laughs> he did have a glorious stand. Legitimately, I <laughs> thought that this guy was some kind of person of color because of the because of his tan. Sure. So, you know, it was it was even easier to look at Hulk Hogan as somebody to strive to be like and say your prayers each of I didn't even know what I was praying about, but I prayed because Hulk Hogan told me to. You um, want to be big and strong like him? Absolutely. And and when he lost to the Ultimate Warrior, um I literally bawled my eyes out because I thought that, you know, he was going to die because I had never seen Hulk Hogan lose, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, uh, you know yeah. with the exception of, of that time with Andre, Saturday's night, Saturday night's main event. I never really saw Hulk Hogan lose, so that was just different. Mm-hmm. And Fast. when you're an adult, you definitely are bummed out by his loss to Ultimate Warrior, but for completely different reasons. Sure, sure. So when you fast forward and, and you know, those private recordings of Hogan come out, which – on one hand, you would hope that your your most private, intimate moments wouldn't be exposed to the world. That's for anybody. But on the other hand, when you when you explicitly identify yourself as a racist, and let me say that again, Hulk Hogan explicitly identified himself as a racist. It's very difficult to turn around and forgive somebody who has made it clear that your existence is something that they feel is less than, it's beneath them. You are less than worthy of their acceptance of equality. You are something that is other. So when, when Hulk Hogan was revealed to be, as he described himself, a racist, that was, that was completely damaging on a personal level um, for me. And how he followed that up, you know, where he wanted to focus on the fact that he was privately recorded and he focused a lot less on the fact that he's a racist, (laughs) that, that further was damaging. And I'm very disappointed and I continue to be disappointed. I know that I have some friends in the WWE who actively listen to this show. I am, I am extremely disappointed in all of you, especially you, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, to bring Hulk Hogan back into that company when he has done absolutely nothing to prove that he has even begun the journey of attempting to correct the wrongs that he, he created. It's just really a, a disappointment, and I'll, I'll never forgive Vincent Kennedy McMahon for that. Mm-hmm. You know, forget about Hogan for a second. I, Vince, you know better. I will never forgive you for bringing that man back into the company and allowing him to stand in front of the the entire team 
and focus on being recorded as opposed to his damn racism. And then yeah. you still featured him even after that. So to put to put all the, the people on staff through that, especially the, the wrestlers of color, it's just really, it speaks to, once again, this in, institutional racism, even people who would, would swear up and down that they personally are not racist. When you support systems that allow that sort of thing to happen, it does make you wonder what's really going on here. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it, it was just very interesting to hear, you know, Titus O'Neill's take and the New Day's take on Hogan being welcomed back by basically, it, it was weird. I mean, maybe maybe I'm misremembering or uh, maybe you have better insight, but it, it felt like when he was brought back in, it wasn't, hey, are you comfortable with this? It's, hey, Hulk's coming back. He's talking to everyone with, you know, a mournful look on his face. The end. Like, it's, it is it is what it is. So you have to find a way to make peace with it is how it felt like the message to the locker room was. Am I misremembering that? Does that sound about right? What were your thoughts when he was brought back in? No, you're, you're 100% right, Noah. And, and I'll tell you that I don't – I have to be careful with how I judge – how any of these wrestlers of color responded to Hulk being back. Oh yeah. Your um, message did not sound like you were judging oh, no. wrestlers who really kind of are stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place. Cause before they didn't have any other alternatives until now AEW's there. And that's, and, and that, that's the challenge. I mean, if you don't support what the company is doing here and you, you speak up and you speak out and you do what's right, that may be right for from a morality standpoint, but it may not necessarily be right for your your pockets and keeping a roof over your family's head and food on the table. So I, I, I've I've been very disappointed in people like Mark Henry and Booker T and other folks who have gone out of their way to proclaim that Hogan is not a racist. It's like, well, this isn't an opinion. The man said it himself. So I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't I didn't make that up. Uh, I've been disappointed in their reactions to it, but upon further thought, I realized that where else are these guys going to make millions of dollars? And especially when they've dedicated so much of their life to professional wrestling and their entire careers are really in the hands of WWE, their legacies in the hands of WWE. I don't think they're necessarily in a position where they could speak openly and outwardly and condemn the company for what they're doing with this Hulk Hogan situation. So I, I got to take that for what it is. But the New Day, you know, they were the closest to, in my opinion, telling the truth, mm-hmm. where they just said that, you know, they will do, they will uphold whatever their duty is from a professional standpoint. But outside of that, at this time, they have nothing personal to do with that individual. And I think that was as measured and as politically correct yet as clear as you could possibly be given the circumstances on the on the topic so when miles quit uh nxt wwe uh and the way he went about it what were your thoughts on that because it kind of felt to me once again spoiler alert perspective of a white man (laughs) who who at least, you know, wants to listen and knows that he can experience things. So my vantage point 
isn't as relevant as someone else. But with the way that he chose to kind of go scorched earth um, when airing his grievances, did it feel like scorched earth to you where it felt, did it feel like he went about his grievances the wrong way or did, did it seem valid how he did it? Cause once again, I'm coming from my perspective, so I'm not really putting a lot of weight on that versus someone who would be more aligned with his experiences. You know, it's, it's kind of fun to go back and, and take a look at, that ACH, as he's known on the Indies, um, that's the name that he owns. That's his real name. Uh, ACH, the man formerly known as Jordan Miles. It's fun to go back and look at that situation because whatever lens we we viewed it from at the time, when you go back and you look at the way that Leo Rush has been treated mm. and, frankly, mistreated, and Leo last week, he he posted a – an email correspondence that he had. Yeah. With the company where he was expressing some microaggressions that, are, that have, in, have turned into less than satisfactory situations that may very well be racist. And he wanted to discuss them in detail with the company. Um, that was something he never went public with at the time. Mm-hmm. He kept his mouth shut and he did the right thing according to them. And, and, you know, he tried to go along and get along in that regard. It's just an example of the kind of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And it's not unique to WWE. Anyone who's, right. who works anywhere, and especially in a corporate environment, you know what this is all about. You know what this feels like um, if you've ever been on the receiving end of it. And women, people of color, LGBTQ+, what have you, um, we know what this is. So... You know, at the time with Jordan Miles, I was completely supportive of his stance because I understood where he was coming from. I, I, I could see the pain, too. And, I, and you know, he's been upfront about the fact that he's extremely outspoken. That's a catch-all word. What does that mean? Well, for some, it just means that you stand up for what you believe in and you let people know where you're coming from, which, you know, that's that's really my personal definition. I'm outspoken in that way. But for others... You may allow things to fester. Mm-hmm. You may go about going by the rules and doing the right thing. And then when you still don't see change, you find yourself having to take it to the next level, to turn the volume up, to, as we see out in the world, to riot, to literally riot in order to be heard. And I think in his own way, ACH, the man formerly known as Jordan Miles, he was rioting when he made those videos exposing the garbage that he was putting up with in the WWE and how his entire situation was mismanaged and mishandled. And he tried to go through the right channels and in the end, it just didn't work out. So when I look at that situation, I, I continue to be behind him and supportive of him and ACH, you know, shout out to you, bro. It's, it's just really terrible that, a guy who's worked as hard as he did and who Mm -hmm. deserves based on his quality of work to be at the top level in that amazing. Um, He was absolutely amazing. I was hoping he'd win that tournament because I felt like he, no, no insult to the rest of them, but I thought talent, charisma, everything. I mean, he stood heads and tails above the ones that they showed 
at least in the way that they edit those non-live NXTs, but he was amazing. He was amazing. And and so when you, and you know, I, I believe that those in the company who were responsible for putting the wrestlers out there, they recognized that this is, this is a talent that is beyond what most of his peers are. This is a, this is a, a guy that you could really build an entire organization around based on his work ethic and his, the quality of his work. But, you know, when you allow what happened to ACH, Jordan Miles, when you allow what happened to him to happen in your company, you don't deserve to have an employee like that. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, infor- it's unfortunate, though, because I'm sure that from a financial standpoint, it definitely has cost him. Sure. And, and, oh my that, God. and that's why I go back and I say, I, I, I have to be careful on a personal level in terms of judging some of these other wrestlers who support this whole Hogan thing or don't speak up about some of these issues because look what happened to, to Jordan Miles. And, and look what's happening to Leo Rush. He spoke up about his own personal situation from a financial standpoint, feeling like he should be allowed to have more signings and things like that, especially at the time when he was paired with Bobby Lashley. Why would Bobby Lashley do a signing without him? Yeah. They're, they're a team. It doesn't, that, that's the equivalent of, of having somebody like Brock Lesnar do a signing without Paul Heyman. Why would right. you do that? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, but even Leo Rush, he got railroaded because he had the audacity to stand up for himself. They didn't like that. So, and it's tough because you're seeing, I mean, even just this specific social issue aside, I mean, you see what happens when you don't just, when you're not a company man. I mean, once again, I love WWE, lifelong fan. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've been a fan since the NWO. Uh, that rocked my world before I even watched wrestling. So that's that was my entry point. But you're seeing that with uh, Roman Reigns. Basically, the the corporation saying if you're not comfortable because of the virus, you absolutely can stay home. It's fine. Roman Reigns backs out of WrestleMania because, I mean, of all the people who would be at risk, it would be a guy who's survived leukemia twice. And he's apparently, he's the big star, so they can't do anything. Meanwhile, also, Sami Zayn isn't comfortable with it. And now he has backstage heat, apparently, and they took the belt away from him. So you're seeing, you know, yeah, you absolutely can stand up for what you believe in, but then they turn around and you get heat for it. Like that, so that kind of sends the message of anything you're not all rah-rah about, you're kind of rolling the dice that that's going to negatively affect your career here. Well, and look at the NFL with Colin Kaepernick. I mean, yeah, Ugh, yeah. Here's a guy that they took everything away from him. They mm-hmm. they took his life's work away from him. And for anyone who wants to say, well, you know, Nike still pays. He earned that Nike deal. Don't talk yeah. to me about Nike. I'm talking about his his professional football career. They took it away from him. Well, you know, he wasn't so good anymore. His stats were just as good. Absolutely. As they were actually better than majority of starting quarterbacks since. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that revisionist history is like the numbers don't lie. I mean, no. you can say that all you want to, but if you actually look at the numbers, his numbers are pretty pretty freaking great. People were upset with him because he had the audacity to tell the world. He went he and it was there was no rule breaking, there was no law breaking. He wasn't even saying anything. He was just sitting. 
And no dogs were murdered in yeah. the acts of him kneeling for the national anthem. But keep in mind, the kneeling came because he was convinced that that would look more respectful. At first, from he a just veteran. sat. From he just a sat military veteran. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and it wasn't until they asked him what he's doing that he let them know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who wasn't trying to call attention to himself. He was just, I'm just doing this. This is my way of protesting. And they took everything away from this guy. Yep. And now they want to turn around because they realize that the country has shifted. And now they're realizing, well, wait a second. The racists aren't the majority anymore. Everybody's had enough. We can't ignore this anymore. So now it's, it's safe for us to admit that, yeah, we were wrong and Colin was right. You took everything away from this guy. You ruined this guy's life. This guy gets death threats. He gets marginalized. He gets treated as if he is less than, which was the case all along anyway. But it's just it's interesting when you look at racism is a powerful tool. It's a weapon mm. that gets yielded. And just when you think you can be the best at anything, you could do the right thing, you can achieve success, Barack Obama, just when you think you can achieve you will be reminded that even at that level, you're still less than us. And the us are the racist, the people who want to maintain that type of mm-hmm. system and society and what have you. And it's just really unfortunate. So, you know, Noah, we, we've been having a very wide ranging and deep conversation here, which I really appreciate. Um, I want to ask you this. And, and sure. I want to challenge you. My challenge to you is, Within the next year, find someone. Because this is the problem. You know, a lot of friends, they'll reach out and they'll say, hey, what can I do? I want to help. What can I do? What can I do? I should do something. I should be out there. I should. And it's like, this isn't cosplay. This isn't something that you just put on and then you take <laughs> off. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a diet that's going to fade away tomorrow. Um, I challenge you, and it doesn't matter what you've done previously, seek out. And find a person of color who is in your line of work and offer to mentor them and and teach them what you know, whether it be acting, producing, writing, whatever. Just teach them what you know and then give them a recommendation to work on a project beyond whatever you personally are working on. So help them graduate to something else. That's my challenge for you. And then, and, and the last part of that is you let them know that in order to receive this from you, they have to promise to pass it down. So wherever they go, they got to pull somebody else up and do the same thing. When we break it down into smaller pieces, we can get a lot more done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you have a big plate of food in front of you, man. You got to take it bite by bite. You can't swallow the whole thing all at once. If you do your part in that regard and you let everybody know that's what you're doing, I can't imagine there aren't going to be people within your social circle who's going to say, you know, I like that too. I'm, I'm going to try that too. And now, you know, we could have 100 people in the next year who pulled up a, 100 other people and it's like, well, Jesus Christ, that, that's 100 people of color who have been mentored in the arts, in film, in theater, in writing, in producing. And now they're going off and they're doing their thing. And this is in addition to whatever schooling and experience they have. This is, this is mm-hmm. a bonus. And that's how you change systems, man, in my opinion, at least. 
I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I accept your challenge. There he is. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Noah Kinsey has accepted the challenge. So, Absolutely. so I'm going to check in with you, Noah. You, you Do let it. me know when you identify this person. And once you folks get started, you know, I, I will invite the both of you back on the show to talk about the experience. And that yeah, sounds great. My audience and I, we will support you. So whatever, whatever projects you put out, we will go out and we will seek out and we will promote and we will watch and we will review and we will tell everybody about these projects because that's the other part of it too. It's not just incumbent upon you to do everything. It's incumbent upon us to support one another. So you do your part and we'll do our part. And that way we're all doing something together. I love it. I think that's fantastic. Noah, please let everybody know what your social media, any websites you like to plug. Let everybody know how they can get in touch with you, please. Yeah. So at the Noah Kinsey or the Noah Kinsey, whichever you prefer, website is noahkinsey.com. And I have an upcoming podcast, which if you follow me on social media, you can you can see that. Or my Patreon is patreon.com slash Noah Kinsey. But the podcast coming out is the Coffee Time Podcast with Noah Kinsey. Um, and it's an interview. It's more of a conversation, but we do discuss different social issues. We discuss nerd culture, you know, TV, movie. It just, it's, it, it definitely ranges. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. So we're going to be launching that here in probably within a month. So, yeah, so definitely follow me, but all of that stuff will be on my social media at the Noah Kinsey. His name is Noah Kinsey. That's N-O-A-H-K-I-N-S-E-Y. Yep. And just put a the in front of that and you have all of my social media handles. Noah, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I want to ask you one last question before you go, though. Sure. How the heck did you get those abs, brother? (laughs) In the kitchen. This is Alexa, and this is Brianna, and we're Sugar and Spice, and and you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Wrestling. You know, I have a guy on the line right now who is a fantastic musician, artist, writer, so, and he's also a big wrestling fan. So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, my man, Young Tease. What's going on, brother? How you doing, Duke? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Listen, I'm still recovering from uh, In Your House. That that was a heck of an NXT pay-per-view uh, this past Sunday, huh? I mean, the nostalgia, you know, from it is is kind of what got me about the whole thing. How would you say the pay-per-view compared to what we've seen in 2020 from both WWE and from AEW? How would you rank NXT in your house against everybody else? You know, it's a hard question because knowing the the thought process that went behind in your house, you could tell that they really uh, had some ideas for it. So, I mean, it for that, you know, I, I got to give it its kudos but I definitely see it as one of the, one of the like I'd say, middle type um, pay per views. I mean, it wasn't the best, you know. It, it definitely wasn't the best that we've seen this year. I I think that um, Money in the Bank was phenomenal in my opinion. Like I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the cinematic aspects to it and 
I think that we've seen, um, especially with In Your House, that that can go the right way, like in regards to like the Boneyard match. And it can also go the eh type of way in regards to the Adam Cole uh, Velveteen Dream match. It, I mean, the backlot brawl, it, it I, I enjoyed it, but a lot of people uh, were mad about not being able to see as well and different stuff like that. And I, I think that they could have. They could have gone about it in in a in a different manner. Maybe done a little bit more with Velveteen Dream's character, you know, um, something in in that type of regard. So I'd give it, I'd give it about, I'd give it about a five and a half out of ten, as compared to what we've seen from everybody else. This uh, well, from every other roster, I would say between, you know, Raw, SmackDown, and also um, within AEW, I'd give it about a 5, 5.5, something like that. Wow. You know, I'm very surprised that that rating, it, it's a lot lower than what I would have expected from you. So so let me go match by match because, you know, of course this is all subjective, but you bring up some really glaring points, especially from a production standpoint which I agree with you, definitely hurt the pay-per-view to a certain degree. Let's start with the first one here. We had Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, and Shotzi Blackheart taking on Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. What did you think about that match, especially as an opening match? I actually really enjoyed that match. Um, Tegan Knox, in particular, is... uh, is definitely a favorite of mine um and it's kind it's kind of a biased point she's a favorite of mine because of who she looked up to in her career and who she just fawns over and of course that would be uh mayor glenn jacobs you know kane and i mean he was he was my i mean the bad blood uh pay-per-view where he debuts is just again one of the just dynamic memories I have of that era and of just loving wrestling and like falling in love with wrestling and the, the brothers of destruction and the whole dynamic between those two, it it really, you know, was part of why I loved the attitude era. So Tegan Knox with just the, um, the choke slam, you know, that, that she's, that she delivers um, to Dakota Kai in that match is as just a tribute to uh, her mentor is definitely um, one of the one of the highlights of that match for me. Um, anything involving Mia Yim is amazing to me. I mean, the the baddie is definitely um, she's a star in the making, and all of them are. All of them are, you know. But Mia Yim in particular has this confidence about her that um, that she really uh, that she really pushes off uh, when she's behind, when she's uh, in front of that camera. I don't know about this turn for, for Candice LeRae. I mean, I like, I like that she's getting an edge to her. I think that she needs that edge because her uh, face character hasn't, it has kind of been dwindling to, you know, to a fault, uh, kind of just being overshadowed by her husband. Raquel Gonzalez definitely has a lot of power and a, and a lot of height on, on these women. And she just is a beautiful worker. I'm sure she can learn so much from someone like Dakota Kai taking her under her wing. Um, I, I don't think that I could really uh, 
critique Dakota Kai right now. I love what she's doing with this heel, with this heel characters. It's I think it's been a great turn for her, and she's just you know been really despicable, and and we need that. So I think that that match was definitely one of the best of the night. One of the reasons why I liked In Your House so much. I actually I liked the pay per view, but that question I would definitely yeah I would give it that rating. But I, I think that that match was absolutely phenomenal. Detailed analysis, good stuff there, and definitely all the ladies talented, up and coming. You know, you, although you do have a lot of uh, veterans in there, you know, certainly Mia Yim and, and Candice LeRae and even Tegan Knox. I mean, she's been around the block. Dakota's been around the block. Shotzi's definitely a little newer. And she's made a splash for herself. She continues to improve. I would hope and wish that she would just take it a little easier there. You know, some of these moves that she does, these these stunts, these risks that she takes just appear unnecessary. Um, and what can I say about Raquel Gonzalez? I mean, I've followed her career since the beginning. When she trained uh, with my good friend, good friend of the show, Mr. Rudy Boy Gonzalez, down at the Texas Wrestling Academy, same guy who trained Daniel Bryan and Brian Kendrick and you know, a whole host of other people, uh, Max Castellanos, Moonshine Mantel, Micah Madrid, who's my arch nemesis. So I know that um, in terms of the ability to do the right thing in the ring, Raquel Gonzalez has that. She has the fundamentals down. And I'm noticing that she's continuing just to get comfortable within her character today. So I agree with you. That that first match overall, all those ladies, they kicked butt, did a great job. Moving on to the next match here, we, we had Finn Balor <laughs> going oh, up against a guy who, you know, formerly known as Punishment Martinez. Uh, he wrestled and learned from the great Danny Cage down in the Monster Factory, the world-famous Monster Factory. What did you think about Damian Priest versus our man Finn Balor? I mean, it was just such a back-and-forth, catch-as-catch-can type rest. Like, it was, it was wrestling. Those guys went out there, and they put on a show and – and really, I think what they really excelled at was telling the story, you know, of it being two evenly matched competitors ready to go out there and fight. You know, they're, they're ready to go out there and they're, they're ready to entertain the NXT universe and show them what they got. And I think Damian Priest, even though he did not go over in that match, I think that he proved a lot to a lot of doubters out there um, that he can go with the best of them. You know, Finn Balor is definitely that, is definitely one of the best of them. And Damian Priest showed me that he's he's ready and willing to at least go toe-to-toe uh, this night, that night, when the time comes, to really go toe-to-toe with some of the best in the business. And that can mean a lot, you know, um, and you could get a lot of eyes on you like that. And I think that that's what he did within this match. Even with Finn Balor taking that win, I think it means more for Damian Priest than it does uh, Finn Balor. Like, Finn Balor's going to prosper. He's going to prosper because he's where he belongs now within being in NXT. He's, well, he's where people wanted him because he was best utilized on the NXT roster. And he's definitely going to, you know, continue to prosper there. But Damian Priest has to make his own footprint. And I think he did that um, uh, this weekend at uh, uh, In Your House. 
Well said. Well said. Moving on to uh, Keith Lee versus Mr. Wrestling, or Johnny Wrestling, we should say, Johnny Gargano, for the NXT North American Championship. What are your thoughts on that match there? You know, I've been really undecided on Johnny Gargano. Um, and the reason why is because of this heel turn. Um, I mean, I love it, but, it you know, it started with it started with it kind of just coming out of nowhere, like, oh, just being, just being like, oh, well, now Johnny Wrestling's mad. And, it, and I think a lot of that stemmed, stemmed from them really not having much for the man other than, you know, a, a real good, really, really amazing, one of the best ever rivalries with Tommaso Ciampa. But you, you can only, uh, you can only, you know, beat that carpet as you know, <laughs> but but yay many times before you have to get them into something else. And Johnny Gargano is so good overall at being a talent, at being on that on that roster and being that workhorse um, that they just had they had started to fizzle out with him. And they gave him that that heel turn, and they gave it to him, and they finally allowed Candice to turn heel with him, and. It's not fully where it needs to be just yet, but these vignettes that they've been doing against Keith Lee and against Mia Yim with the, the dinner with the Garganos and all that, oh, man, I mean, it's, it's been great. I've, I've loved those. This match for me, well, first off, Keith Lee is just amazing. I mean, I, mean, I've, 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 I was watching the guy in the indies. Um, before he came to WWE, and I mean, he has—he's been that amazing since then. <laughs> it's, it's, and it, he's just really—it's really hard to even gauge where or what to say about Keith Lee, other than his actual moniker of Limitless, because that's how it seems. It seems like he has no limit to what he can do within that ring, at least to uh, the degree of of athleticism in in that regard i think that this match had a lot of my favorite aspects of the night in it like that door cam shot when keith lee uh just you know it's johnny gargano's just sitting there trying to get into the door you know and keith lee just sneaks up behind him like you know like a like a big grizzly bear just like what are you doing you know <laughs> He's, you know slams his head up against the door it's just it's a beautiful shot it's a classic shot and uh, in your house, having the in your house setback, I mean, it was just awesome, which is another thing. We need personalized sets again for, for pay-per-views, you know, uh, special sets again for pay-per-views. Um, because, I mean, they're just so fun, you know, they're just so awesome. Johnny Gargano's entrance was awesome, being able to come through the in your house set and, you know, um, and actually uh, come through the door and make his entrance in that way. But Keith Lee... And this this eye injury thing, you know, it's like Johnny Gargano really trying to show how how mean and nasty he can be now. And it's like I like it, but I think that that match could have it could have delivered more. I think that they both could have done more, and um, that given the right circumstances, they can have a 
a five-star match, you know, those two in particular, because they're, they are both that good and they have chemistry. They definitely have chemistry in that ring. So I think that it was, it was great, but I would like to see another, another uh, reincarnation of that match. I'd like to see that rivalry, not necessarily just end on that note. I'd like to see more go on with that. Next up, we had uh, Tommaso Ciampa versus Karrion Cross. What did you think of that? I mean, I would say that they this is this is one of those instances where you really see WWE uh, able to make a star like they did, uh, like they like they used to be able to do. You know, it, it it's not something that you see a lot nowadays because a lot of times you'll already they'll already have a star and that star will come up to what they what they used to call or still call now the main roster from NXT, even though. I believe NXT was established as its own brand, you know, beating uh, Braun SmackDown in the Royal Rumble and, you know, uh, becoming a actual, you know, uh, live televised show on, you know, USA Network. Um, they definitely established themselves as the third brand instead of the de- developmental brand. Um, but I think that Karrion Cross has been booked to the sky. I mean, Tommaso Ciampa is a legend in NXT, an absolute legend. And for Karrion Cross to go out there and to to basically, he didn't he didn't squash him. You know, it wasn't a squash match, but he was definitely the aggressor, the more you know, put more offense in. Like like he was he's. He's just has this power to them, to him, this, this, uh, real, this real presence, you know, that they've built up around him, kind of like what they had with the fiend originally, you know, before, like before hell in a cell, like he had this real presence about him and it was really there and people really wanted this guy over. Then hell in a cell came and they, you know, had all that tomfoolery go down and, and, you know, we go on from there, but, Karen has been has been pushed as this just elite monster, and I think that they're doing very well with it. And I think that him defeating Tommaso Ciampa as adamantly as he did just goes on to submit that he, I mean that's cement, to cement that he's definitely going to be a name in not just NXT but in the WWE in general. I think that he's definitely got a career behind him in the WWE if he continues on that path of, of trying to excel within the ranks of WWE. So I think that it was a great match. I think that uh, they both gave uh, stellar efforts and I love, I love a lot everything that Tommaso Ciampa does. I, I actually adore the man's just, you know, he's a, he's a, a NXT treasure. So it's, it was definitely one of my favorite matches of the night. It definitely was. You started off, um, talking about Velveteen Dream and, and Adam Cole. So I'm actually going to jump over that and just go straight to the main event. You know, the folks, we heard from Reed, but I'm, I'm really curious what uh, Young Tease has to say. What did you think of the main event of Charlotte Flair defending the NXT Women's Championship against Rhea Ripley and the eventual winner, Ido Shirai? Well, I'm going to have to say that I have a little bit of bias here. 
because I am an ex- I am a a deep fan of Ray Ripley. I mean, I I love her work. I know that she's young. I know that she has so much you know time uh, to develop more and to and to get better, and that she'll get uh, she'll get that title back and she'll she'll get another ring. But I really did not understand when they brought Charlotte back to NXT why she took the title off of Rhea Ripley. Like, and that's not just from a fan perspective. That's from a, well, what is that booking? And then I thought about it like, okay, well, Charlotte can really elevate the division and Charlotte can really, you know, uh, make people want to watch NXT, want to be able, but Rhea Ripley was doing that. Like she was. And then her momentum was just like, just cut. She could have won that match with Charlotte and actually skyrocketed herself into really being that name. She had had one of the best years as opposed to Becky Lynch. Um, you know, she had had one of the best years in, in WWE for Diva. I mean, for, for a women's wrestler. And it became a different type of standpoint when she did lose to Charlotte. So this triple threat match in Io Shirai, um, who is just amazing, by the way, you know, the genius of the sky is, is definitely one of the, uh, best women on the roster and and now the best woman on the roster after her title win which she definitely deserves um but it at the end of the day i would like to see this come into a, a rivalry between shirai and and Rhea because charlotte just seems absolutely done with nxt and we we get so much of her now it's it's she's getting the roman reigns treatment you know we're seeing her on almost every brand and she came out in an interview about this saying, you know, well, she's the workhorse, you know, she's, she's, she's on every brand because, you know, she, she is putting in the work to be there and to elevate those brands. But I think that this NXT run just wasn't what they were thinking it was going to be and her just going to NXT and being there wasn't the, you know, wasn't the catalyst for it to just become this thing, like this, this thing that's so much bigger because Charlotte Flair came back. It, It wasn't that. And it just seemed as though after losing the title, she just doesn't care about the NXT championship. And now she's just back on the main ro- main roster, as they say. And it, she's more focused on, you know, fighting Asuka and fighting, you know, and fighting the, the women on the main roster now and getting back to those championships and dealing with Sasha and Bayley as opposed to explaining why she feels like her losing the NXT championship means nothing. Um, the match was great. I mean, who who's to say that a Charlotte Flair match isn't great? Like, there, she's had some bad competition. She's not perfect. No wrestler is. You know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. But Charlotte Flair, uh, most of the time, is the greatest wrestler in the match, if not in the arena. So it was definitely great. All three women are amazing at what they do. And um, I think that it was the right time to put the belt on EO, you know, I wish it would, it could have came from a EO Shirai rare Ripley feud, but I think that it was the right time to put the belt on EO. Why Charlotte had to be the transitional champion for that. I don't know, but I do think that it was a main event that deserved to be the main event and that people were invested in and that people wanted to see happen and that it delivered. We're talking to musician, musician, uh, great thinker, artist overall good dude here young tease you know it's funny because you, you said that 
you would give the pay-per-view a five or 5.5 yet it's pretty clear you enjoyed it. So you, you got me wondering here, young tees. I don't know, man. I, I think that, uh, I think you're grading a lot harsher than your entertainment value. When you, when you really think back about these matches on an individual scale here. Well, what I would say to that is that the original question was what I would give the pay-per-view as opposed to what we've seen throughout the year from 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 each brand, from AEW, from NXT. So you're Raw, telling me that all these other brands and all these other pay-per-views, if you were to count them all up from both sides, you're telling me that NXT TakeOver in your house is somewhere in the middle of everything else we've seen in 2020? I would say that one of my favorite pay-per-views of 2020 was AEW's uh, Double or Nothing with that stadium stampede match. It was like nothing we have seen in wrestling before. It was a completely original idea, and it it was entertaining. It it was wacky, of course. It was crazy, but so was um so, so was Money in the Bank. So was the Boneyard match. So was you know th- like we've needed that as wrestling fans because without having these fans and this being, as they've been calling it, the empty arena era, you know, we've needed things like that to just be a distraction. Like, it doesn't always have to be so serious and, and, oh, this is for championship and, oh, this is, you know, it doesn't have to be that. And I think AEW gets that. I think they get the fact that we just need some type of entertainment right now. It's, It's There's so much going on outside of the realm of wrestling and even within the world of wrestling, just like, you know, with um, Black Wednesday, you know, and, and all of these WWE stars getting fired, you know, and all this. And then um, and then them playing off this uh, this whole thing with Drake Maverick and Triple H and then uh, playing it off like Drake Maverick's been fired and then re-signing the contract and all this stuff. Like to think about how that makes the real WWE releases feel whether he was really released and they went into these talks about it afterwards or not, like to think about how that, if I was in that position and I had gotten released like that, and then they played it off in a storyline, you know, the next month or so uh, on NXT, I would be pissed off. I'd be mad, you know? And I think that in your house, while being an enjoyable pay-per-view and being what we needed that, and that's what I enjoyed about it. I enjoyed the entertainment part of it. I enjoyed the set. I enjoyed the matches. Yes, I enjoyed those, but I enjoyed the fact that they had so much nostalgia within that show. You could tell a lot went into the, into the production of that show, even, even with the matches being where they are in the production of that show. I feel like there has, there has been better rivalries showcased. There has been, uh, uh, better, uh, better things done by NXT. Um, recently as opposed to what happened in on in your house i was disappointed by a lot of things on that show which is why i would give it a middle rating because as opposed to money in the bank which isn't an nxt show i thoroughly enjoyed money in the bank oh like okay okay i did this guy right here you see what you're doing now you see what you're doing now so so you you don't want to watch wrestling you don't want to watch people actually battling it out and settling the score you want to watch people get thrown off of buildings and some guy with his belly out jiggling around all over the place. That's that's what you're telling us, young tees. 
I wouldn't say that because I, I'm a jiggle, I love, jiggle, young tees, jiggle, For jiggle. Instance, seeing seeing, Dan, seeing Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles get in the ring and have a one-on-one competition where they truly batter each other and fight each. I love stuff like that. I do, but I'm speaking in general um, as as I would think a a younger wrestling fan would put into perspective that yes, they want to be entertained. Like a lot of them are so not entertained that they're out here getting hurt in protests that they deem to be peaceful. And and then somebody, one person, it takes one bad egg to flip that protest. And someone like Sarah Grossman is murdered in in the streets because the, the cops have thrown tear gas all in her face and me being an asthmatic and her being murdered and getting tear gas thrown in her face and going to the hospital and dying from her asthma with, yeah, you know, it hurts to see stuff like that. And would I rather have uh, this younger generation entertained by some guy jigging it, jiggling his belly and, and getting the girl when, when guys like that are never supposed to get the girl and that entertains them and keeps them in the house to watch a show, then heck yeah, Duke, I'll take that. I'll take that as opposed to, as opposed to them seeing something that they're not even invested in or know that people aren't invested in as of like what's been going on with, with WWE recently and their booking recently, you know, and and just not even giving two hoots about it anymore. Like we've been in one of the worst slump slumps of, of ratings for wrestling like ever, you know, because of the, the global situation and everything that's going on, you know, and for people to, to be in, like it was money in the bank was overall um, enjoyed by people like the, the, the reviews that came out, people did like money in the bank. You know, generally speaking, people did. And whether they liked that cinematic aspect of it, whether they liked the the real deep aspect of it, of the of the real wrestling that went on before all those cinematic matches, because we had what about we had like three cinematic matches on the night. But before that, we had awesome wrestling take place on that pay-per-view. It wasn't just those cinematic matches that made Money in the Bank great. It was also the matches beforehand on that card that made that pay-per-view great. And it, it was definitely, from what I can say, it was definitely my favorite pay-per-view of WWE's 2020 so far. Because it, between that and, and WrestleMania, that and WrestleMania, you know, the fact that we got WrestleMania, I was, I was happy about. So Here we go again. Okay, Young Tees. Listen, you got to promise <laughs> me the next, the next song you make, you got to call it Jiggle Jiggle. Um, dedicate that to me <laughs> hey look my boy otis my boy otis deserves everything he's getting right now you know i'm all for Otis. i am definitely an otis fan i've been an otis fan since he was in nxt with heavy machinery you know doing the heavy elbow drop instead of being instead of the caterpillar or whatever you know and it just you know it being the heavy duty elbow drop with the worm in it you know i i, I like the man i think that he you know he's he's a is, I would say he's not Eugene, you know. It, the, well, he Eugene, definitely is not Eugene because Eugene could actually you know? wrestle. So we, yeah, we know well, that. I think that Otis can wrestle. I, I Otis, Otis couldn't wrestle. wrestle you. I, what do you mean, Otis? I don't know, man. Come it's on, all man. power, man. He's a he's a big man. Uh-huh. He's a big man. He's not he just big doesn't have that height. He's on. just wide. I don't, I don't yes, know how big he is. He might be as tall on. as you too. <laughs> 
listen, young T's, I know I know when I'm when I'm whooped. I, I'm in here trying to have a debate with a wordsmith and and no matter what I say, there's no way I'm gonna win that round because you you are a master of language. I mean, you're a guy who you've won countless awards in your area for, for ciphers and, and freestyles and things, even though that's not even your forte. You're you're more of a thoughtful thinker. You like to to write your your thoughts down and turn it into your poetry into music and what have you yet you can just pick up the mic and just slay somebody without any effort which is exactly what you've done to me on this episode here um, so enough. so not let not me enough. switch speeds for a second here absolutely given the current the current situation the conditions that we're under where you know racism is nothing new but finally i would say for the first time at least in our lifetimes we as a society are letting everybody know we've had enough and we're starting to fight back on a scale that quite frankly, I I've never seen before. Um, how important is it for the artist, the musician, the leaders who are in your line of work? How important is it for folks like yourself to be heard in these, in these moments here? Well, I think that, with the pedestals that I, that a lot of my peers are put upon, um, they're given responsibility to not only their communities, but to the, to the music community in general, um, to really be the focal point, to really be a, uh, a shining star within that and, and to use that platform to help their communities, especially with everything that's going on right now, people are scared and people, they, people are looking for comfort. And, and that really goes into what we were just speaking about when it comes to, to wrestling. It, people are looking for comfort and they're looking for it in multiple different ways. And one of those ways is entertainment and us being entertainers, we have an obligation to our fans and to, and, to the world in itself, at least I have always felt that way, to want better and to do better and to to advocate and to be that mentor and to be that uh that that um it, to make a so to make a song and to really make a, a a a deep song that people go back and they listen to and they can sit and they can cry to and and you know and they can just release their stress to and and you know just really calm themselves down like me myself I have panic attacks sometimes and I'll go back and I'll I'll listen to something from somebody or or one of my favorite artists or anything like that and it'll just really just help me to come back to reality and to relax and to uh, find my peace and that's that's our responsibility our responsibility right now is to is to make the music and to 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 do the things to help our communities to continue to prosper if nobody's trying to make any new legislation to change what's happening here, to change policing, to to change the training that, that goes into becoming a, an officer and different things of that nature, you need to go to the courts. You need to go to to the people that matter and you need to tell them that you want this change. You you have to fight for that change. You have to, you know, establish that this is what needs to be done and this is what we want. So, I mean, like, this isn't just a police thing. This is a human thing. 
This is racism is a human thing. My main goal is to educate people on the history of of our society and what we've gone through. So I mean, racism is stupid because what's what it really is, the real race of everybody is just human. It's the human race. Just just the human race. It's not black, it's not white, it's not purple, it's not indigo. It's just the human race, just being human. That's it. Young T is clearly you you're a thoughtful person and you have a lot to say, a lot that folks can learn from. Let everybody know. How can they reach you online? What's your social media? Any websites? Plug away. Well, you can grab me on my Facebook, which is uh, Tristan Carter. It's uh, just T-R-I-S-T-I-N, and that's C-A-R-T-E-R. You can also reach me on Instagram at Young Tees, Y-U-N-G-T-E-E-Z-E. I'm on YouTube. Uh, it's Young Tees on, on basically anything that you can imagine. It's SoundCloud, Reverb Nation, Bandcamp, um, Bandcamp.com. You can catch me on there. I drop my mixtapes on there. Young Tees, I just want you to know, I'm going to have you back on the show in the future. And, and in between then and now, I'm going to make sure I rest up. I'm going to do my push-ups. And I'm going to read the dictionary. So the next time you come on this show, I am fully armed to battle the award-winning wordsmith, Young Tees. Uh, look, Duke, I am more than willing to go to battle with you, buddy. I'm, I'm more than willing. What a fun show this was this week, huh? I want to thank my guest, Reed, BBS, Black Burt Sugar. Also, Noah Kinsey, you know, great actor that challenge has been thrown out so noah we're gonna hold you to it brother and young tees good dude good dude folks as always i want to encourage you to be kind to yourselves and be kind to others we'll catch you next week more great guests more great content take it away tony shivani This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.